Thank you for tuning in to the Believer's Church of Johnson City podcast. We are grateful you stopped by. Regardless of where you are in your faith journey, we hope today's teaching is both challenging and also encourages you to move closer to Jesus. You can subscribe to the podcast if you want weekly messages, leave a review of your experience, and if you wish to become a giving partner, you can do so by visiting our website at believerschurchjc.com. And of course, we want to encourage you to come see us in person. We are located at 6110 Kingsport Highway in Johnson City, Tennessee. As always, we hope you enjoy today's message. All right, now, okay, some of you all know that I I tend to cut up a lot and everything, and whenever he asked me to speak, uh, I got judging. I got judging, you know, and judging is, is, you know, I'm an observationist. Do you know what an observationist is? Now, I lived in Asheville for a while. <laughs> it's, it's people watching, okay? And I love to watch people. And you got plenty to look at in Asheville, North Carolina, especially if you're on Lexington Avenue. Whenever Bell Share was a big thing over there and they run between 250 and 300,000 people, you know, for that four-day festival, you saw some strange things. And you know what it is? The older you get, the more you quit thinking and you start saying, I guess it actually comes out your mouth before you even think it. And I know my kids and anybody in my family has been embarrassed at times because I'll look at someone and say, well, I won't repeat it, okay? But you know what I'm saying? It could be the color of their hair. It could be the, like I saw a lady this morning and and, uh, we had stopped at Dollar General whenever we uh, were on our way to church. And I thought, well, she's done used up all the pages in her coloring book and she started on her arms and legs. You know, so that's an observation. I wasn't judging because I have tattoos myself. But, uh, you know, whenever he mentioned that I was going to be talking about judging, I had to make sure that I differentiated between preference and what the scripture has to say and make sure that I'm applying scripture properly. Have you ever misapplied scripture? We, we have, haven't we? Most of us have. And, and there's been times where I've really stood fast on a particular scripture because that was my understanding of it, only to find out later that was not the context. And the scripture that we're going to be speaking about today, as Jesus is wrapping up his Sermon on the Mount, he's talked about a lot of different things, but he's going to talk about judging. And in its proper context is how we're going to carry through the rest of this. So let's go to Matthew chapter 7. If you want to follow along in your Bible or on your phone, Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. If not, we're going to have it up here on the screen. I'll give you just a moment to get there. And uh, you've heard people. I've said it. Don't you judge me. Who are you to judge me? Have you ever heard that said? You know, we all have, I do believe, where we've said it. So let's, let's read Matthew chapter 7. We're in verse 1, going to read through the first five verses there. It says, Do not judge so that you won't be judged. That's pretty plain and simple, isn't it? So don't judge and you won't be judged. For with the judgment you use, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. What do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but don't notice the log in your own? Or how can you say to your brother, let me me take that speck out of your eye, and then, what? 
Let me take this speck out of your eye, and look, there's a log in your own eye. Hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will clearly, you'll see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. So when we read that, let's consider the proper context of that particular passage of Scripture. Like so many, is taken out of context, but it says the proper context of this passage was Jesus rebuking the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who were quick to see the sin, okay, of others, but unwilling to hold themselves accountable to the same standard. Does that sound familiar at all? I think one of the reasons, I used to be a Sunday school director, though I don't think they call them that anymore. They may somewhere, but minister of education, whatever you want to call it. But uh, I remember going to a workshop years ago, and and, uh, and the person who's leading it said this. He says, do you know why a lot of people that attend church don't also go to Sunday school? And there were several people, you know, volunteered, you know, what they thought may have been the answer or possible answer. And he said, probably the number one reason why people don't go to Sunday school is because they've been. <laughs> okay? They've been and they found it lacking. There was nothing there for them. Now, that's not the kind of Sunday school, the type of Bible study, the type of small group that you want to have. But there's a lot of people, the reason why they won't go to church is because they've been. And what do they see in church? They see hypocrisy, do they not? They see that now that's okay. Now, look, look, we are hypocrites, all right? I'm, I'm, I'm a hypocrite. I'll, I'll admit it. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I'm not a hypocrite on certain things. You know, I can very easily tell, you know, uh, like a father tells a daughter, you know, he, you say, now I don't want you wearing that and going to the mall because I know boys. And what they're going to do is they're going to ogle you. They're going to look at you. They're going to have all these thoughts running through their mind. And then she goes in there and she puts on a burqa so she can go to the mall. And while she's gone to the mall, you slip back into your chambers and you pop up the Internet and you start looking at porn. Okay? Would that not be a double standard? I mean, and it happens all the time. Uh, or we may be t uh, looking at somebody else's sin and we may say, you know, they ought not be doing that. And we see, it in, we see it in church a lot, or we'll see church people that will do that, but they don't look at the sin in their own life. And I know that I have been guilty of that. And uh, as I was looking through this, I, uh, I wanted to consider what I could bring to you that might be helpful this morning. So he's saying that judgment is always reciprocable if I'm pronouncing that right. It reciprocates. The measuring stick that you use to measure others is the same that God will use to measure you. Now, would you rather me judge you or would you rather God judge you? I think you'd rather me judge you than God in some cases. Would you not? I know that that's the way that I would feel. Now, we look over, go ahead and bring up the next slide, right? And, and what this talks about is the, the things that we've already spoke about. And like I mentioned, we, we talked about true happiness. We talked salt and light, anger and forgiveness. And by the way, the week after the anger and forgiveness, which I thought I was okay on, I mean, I really, I don't, I don't harbor anger. Now, I'll get mad and fly off a handle or something like that, but I'm over it real quick. As far as forgiving, no issues. But then, 
we have just remodeled a new house and what happens? We get most of our stuff moved in and then we get broken into and a lot of it's stolen. Now, tell me, I was, I was upset. I was very upset, more hurt than anything. But I can still hear the words of our pastor as he spoke, not knowing that they were going to be applicable to me the very same week. So thank you. <laughs> it's very, very helpful. So you got happiness, salt and light, anger and forgiveness, lust and divorce, love, peace and retaliation, showy religion, prayer and fasting. I think I got prayer listed again here. Uh, treasure, worry, and anxiety. And then you've got judging. Now, any of these that you have a struggle with, I don't know. It's hit you between the eyes and stepped on your toes like it has me. But struggling with any of these is, is more than just, just a characteristic. Okay? It is actual sin. Can you, can you let that sink in for just a minute? It is actually sin. And whenever you have sin in your life, sin corrupts, sin cripples, and it stunts our ability to perform as God would intend for us to be able to perform. I often think of it this way. If I, if I was a drill instructor in the Marines, I know that my job is to prepare you for what lies ahead after boot camp. And, and uh, you, you, you've got these raw recruits that come in and you've got this one that questions everything that you do. Well, why should I stand at attention? Why should I pay attention to you? Well, that person's going to wash out. He's not going to be around that long. But, you know, he's hard. He's hard to deal with. And the whole time this drill instructor is trying to pour into him so that he can be prepared for what's to come. And then he has another guy that doesn't show up. And he goes back in. He's still laying in bed. He says, well, I'm just not a morning person. Well, you know, you, you can't have that kind of... Or you got this guy, you're, you're trained to shoot his weapon, and he doesn't even know how to put the thing together. And once he does get it together, he couldn't hit the target with the, you know, with the, if it was the broadside of a barn. Okay, now let's say these guys finally make it to the end of their basic training. Is that the type of people that you want to serve with? Absolutely. I would not want to be in the foxhole with one of those guys. Okay, I would want to be in the foxhole with somebody that listened. Okay, someone who took advantage of everything that was offered to them as they were going through basic. All the training, I would want to make sure. Are we not in a much greater situation than, than that? I mean, this morning, as I look around, there's empty seats. There's empty seats for various reasons. There's some people that are still out on vacation. There's some people who just think it's better. And I, Angie and I was talking about this yesterday. And I, you don't know how much is true coming out of Afghanistan. You know, some of it's true. Most of it's probably true. But you don't know if everything is true. But the Taliban is reaching out to Afghan Christians and telling them that they want to, to meet with them. Now, that part, I don't know if it's true or not, but this part I do know is true, is that there are Afghan Christians saying, we will go to church this week, and we will be prepared to die if we have to. Think about that. Let that, let that sink in of how important it is. So as Jesus finishes his 40 days, and he starts calling his disciples... Peter, James, John, and who else? Peter's brother. So he calls these four disciples so far as it's recorded, and uh, then he sits down and he teaches on the Sermon on the Mount. 
And these are the things that he come up with. So you and I are purchased with the price. We're redeemed by holy blood. And one of the things that we get whenever we accept Christ is we get the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is something that's very, very important. And we also get various gifts. We were talking about this in uh, our groups not too long ago, is that everybody is endowed with a particular gift. Some of us have more gifts than others. Some of us don't know what our gifts are because we've never taken time to, to learn what our gifts are. We've not been trained in that. Some of us are very well aware of what our gifts are, and we operate greatly in them. But if you've ever been on a front-end loader or any kind of an excavator or something like that, or you've just watched, you've seen uh, a, a shovel full of dirt lifted like it was nothing. And you think, man, how is that able to do that? Well, it's because of the hydraulic fluid that's coursing through uh, the hoses in that machine, and it causes that to happen. And how many of y'all have ever grown, uh, driven a manual transmit, uh, a manual uh, steering uh, vehicle? I remember my first car was manual, and it was one, and it had a steering wheel about this big, it seemed. And I'm glad it did because it took a lot to turn the thing, you know, because you just got to give it one of these just to get it turned. And then the next car I got had automatic transmission, and you, you guys know now you can just take one finger and you can turn that. Well, whenever the Holy Spirit is operating in you, there's a great, there's a gr much greater ability for you to be able to live in what it is that God has called you to do. So if you were to look back over the various things, let's go to the next slide here. Um, how many of us if this is our particular sin, we're struggling with being very judgmental of people. And we're able to look at somebody else's sin and say that, well, theirs is worse than mine. And something that I have firsthand experienced in my life is that I have experienced that whenever I was down, getting kicked while I was on the ground. And you've seen others, and maybe you're witness to that yourself. Or whenever I'm out and about and I'm talking to people who uh, are no longer in church or maybe have never been in church, you talk to them and you find out that their reason for not is because, well, maybe I was once active and this occurred, that occurred, and, and I just can't, you know, I'm not going to find comfort in going back to church. You know, I'm not going to take time this morning and tell you all the different things that's happened in my life, but if it wasn't for my relationship with God, I'll be honest with you, I would have a very, very hard time going to church, to church. And you might as well. Look at this verse. In Galatians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul is talking to the church in Galatia, and this is what he says. He says, my friends, you are spiritual. I am talking to you. I am talking to the church. So if someone is trapped in sin, what should you do? You should gently lead that person back to the right path. Gently lead that person back to the right path. How is that done? You've got a friend who has fallen regardless of whatever it is. Now, in, in, in some of the work that I do as a consultant with ministries, uh, I'm, I'm called in to do conflict management. Now, I don't like conflict. And a lot of times whenever I go into a church, it's because there's been a moral failure. It's been because uh, 
There's been someone walk off with a lot of money. It's been that you've got a power struggle between various factions that are within the church. And what I'll often do when I'm sitting down with those parties, I will say, you know, I don't like conflict and I'm not one to start it, but I believe God has called me to end it in a lot of cases. So that's why I'm here. So you'll go into a situation where you'll have someone who has had a moral failing. You'll here, Here's a good one. Whenever you have a couple that's probably been really active in church and then there's trouble within their marriage and they're no longer together and they're divorced, does it not mean that we can't be friends with both instead of taking the one and not liking them anymore and probably promoting the other one more than they deserve? I mean, that, that happens. Uh, you'll find somebody that slipped up and done something wrong uh, that is not found acceptable in Scripture, but yet what we'll do is we'll cast them out instead of going to them. How many of you all, and you don't have to raise your hand, I'd prefer that you didn't, but how many of you all have ever fallen into sin, it became public, And someone that is close to you in the church possibly has taken the time and been brave enough and bold enough to come to you and talk to you. It doesn't happen near enough. Have you ever been that person that's went to someone who has fallen and said, hey, look, I, you know, it's public knowledge what's going on. I just want you to know I love you, and I'm here for you. If there's ever anything that I can do for you, I want you to know I'm available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, okay? When you're ready to talk, if you're ready to talk, I want you to know that I'll be there. That is so incredibly important. Let's look at this. Uh, well, let's finish verse, uh, verse 2. It says, But watch out and don't be tempted yourself. You obey the law of Christ when you offer each other a helping hand. Because let me tell you, you'll remember the person who came to your aid, even if you weren't ready for them to come to your aid. If you're restored, you'll be thankful for the person who took time out of their life to tell you that they love you and they're going to stand between you and the gates of hell. You will remember that as you're being restored. But I'm afraid that you'll also remember those people who kicked you while you were down. And that's what we don't want to see take place. And, and, that, and when we talk about the church, we're talking about us as individuals. Well, how do you approach somebody? What's the right way to approach someone whenever they have sinned? Glad you asked. If you look in this next scripture here, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. And we're going to talk about this, this way that God gave us as instructions on how to approach someone who has fallen away and how it should be handled. If one of my followers sins against you, go and point out what was wrong. But there's a way that you should do it. You should do it in private. Now, it's not Christian to do that. It's more Christian to sit back and let it fester, it seems. Or it might be that it's better, just like a, I had a, 
I had a friend the other day that was on uh, Facebook, and they were upset with an institution. And instead of going to the institution and expressing their hurt feelings, they decided to take it to a social media platform. And what do you think the comments were on the social media platform? All they did was pile on. I wonder if anybody sent a private message to that individual. Well, I ended up doing it, but, but who sent a private message to that individual to say, this is not the platform to air out your grievances, but I am concerned about you. And if there's anything that I can do to improve the situation, it's and the reason why is because I want to restore you. I want you to be able to be back on the front lines. I don't want you back here in, in, a, in a field hospital somewhere where your feelings are hurt because something happened, whether it be something that should have happened or shouldn't have. But what you need to do is you need to go to that person who has wronged you, and you need to restore that relationship. That is how Jesus said it needed to be handled. So if one of my followers sins against you, go and point out what was wrong, but do it in private, just between the two of you. Now, if that person listens, you have won back a follower. And that, is that not what we really want? Really? Have you ever been offended? Not just in church, but I mean any, in, with any relationship. Sure you have, okay? Now, now, back about 30 years ago, there was a, a, a resource came out called uh, Making Peace With Your Past, okay? Something that Lifeway put out, and, and I think they finally took it off the market because it was creating such havoc. I don't know, but I can remember one of my best friends, and she's still one of my best friends, but one of my best friends in, in high school called me and said, I just want you to know I forgive you. Okay. Well, I'm glad you got that done. You know, what What have I done? Well, you said something to me back in high school. Okay. And this was like, you know, 10 years after we had graduated high school. I said, well, so-and-so, I'm sorry. If I'd have known that I said something that was offensive to you, I would have told you. You know, I, I, I apologize. Well, that's okay. I'm forgiving you anyway. I said, but I, I don't even remember saying it. But regardless, you know, she had been holding this for like 10 years. Now, was that affecting her relationship with me? Of course it was. Now, we still got along, you know, but that was always in the back of her mind, that comment that I made to her. And do you think that also made a difference in her relationship with God and her ability to act in the fullness of what he expected, what he wanted out of her? Of course. So if you're going to a brother or a sister and you want restoration to be the end result, and you go in private just between the two of you, and if that person listens, you've won them back. But now there is also something else that can take place. They can choose to tell you to go take a hike. Now, has that ever happened? This is where that judging comes in. That's when you go to somebody and say, hey, you know, uh, uh, you stumbled, okay? Uh, you know you're not right in doing what you're doing. And you'll either hear one of two things, okay? You'll hear silence, which will end up being, you know, turned into forgiveness and, you know, that brother or sister will be restored or you'll get this back at you. Who are you to come to me and tell me that I ought not be doing this or I, I need to be doing that? And a lot of times the reason why we won't go to somebody is because of that. 
because we're afraid of one, or, one of a couple things. One, we're afraid they're going to tell us what our sin is. All right, you come and you tell me that I'm not right in doing this, but what about you doing that? Okay, so we won't go to somebody. It's just like whenever the guys picked up the rocks, you know, going to stone the adulteress. What did Jesus say? Those of you without sin do what? Hurl the first rock. What happened? They dropped the rocks and splits, what they did. Okay, why? Because they had sin in their life. So they were being very judgmental to this person because of her sin. And there are sins that are more public than others, are there not? You know, you may look on someone who's gay. You may look on someone who's, uh, uh, oh gosh, which is all kinds of things that we could throw out there. A child molester. I mean, there's all these things that we can say, oh, that's a whole lot worse than me telling a lie. Not in God's eyes, is there? But it's really hard whenever we go to someone and say, I'm going to call you out on this. You don't necessarily say it that way. Say, you know, God just spoke to my heart about what you're going through. And, uh, you know, I see this in your life and, and uh, I don't know what you think about it, but, you know, you're just, you're just getting further away from God and further away from God. And it's just breaking my heart because I know once upon a time you had this really close relationship with the Lord and you're going to be met with either, don't you be judging me or you're going to be able to restore a brother or a sister. Is that relationship not worth it? Is that relationship not worth it? Really, I want you to consider that. I'm not saying go out here today and everybody that you know it's not living right with God, you know, that you, that you pounce on them. But what I am asking is that you consider those types of situations. Examine the sin. Examine the log that is in your own eye first. Okay? And then ask God to prepare the path for you to be able to go and speak to someone. But now Jesus had a recipe on how to restore somebody and when you should finally walk away from it. So read the rest of that verse. If any, Let's read the whole thing again. It says, If any one of my followers sins against you, go and point out what's wrong. But if you do it in private, just between the two of you. If that person listens, you have won back a follower. But if they refuse to listen, take along one or two others. Okay? Because the Scriptures teach us that every complaint must be proven uh, true by two or more witnesses. And then the last part of that is, if the follower refuses to listen to them, report the matter to the church. Anyone who refuses to listen to the church must be treated like an unbeliever or a tax collector. I would have hated to have been a tax collector. I mean, you're specifically mentioned there. It's just like saying today, you know, like an unbeliever or a used car salesman, okay, or, or an unbeliever and a life insurance salesman or an IRS agent, or, you know, you could, you could fill in the blank there. But Jesus was using, using uh, some of the vocations of the day. You know, if you want to cast that person to the side, that's what you're going to have to do with that individual that's going to choose to live in their own sin. And that happens. I mean, I know people, uh, I've been that person that have chosen to live in my own sin. And I've had people judge me and do this number right here instead of coming to me. But in the same circumstance, I've had people who love me and wanted to see my restoration come to me. Was it embarrassing? Yeah. Say, hey, Listen, you know I love you. And because I love you, 
I want to have this conversation with you, okay? And it's not an easy conversation to have, but it's when it's needed. Because I love you and because God has gifted you in such a way that he can take you and use you for, you know, greater glory. But man, you're going to have to address this thing. And I don't know if you've noticed how bad it's hurting you, but man, it's something you need to address. That's hard to do, but it's something that we need to do. That's the proper way to do it. So John chapter 7, verse 24, we're going to start wrapping this up here in just a moment. So stop judging according to outward appearances. Rather, judge according to righteous judgment. I'm not saying everybody go to a person with a, a, a hair color that's not their original hair color or a person who's covered with tattoos or a person who wear, you know, dresses a certain way or a person that, you know, I'm not saying, now here's what I'm bad for. I'm bad for reading car signs on cars, decals, okay? And I'll look at it, and I'm thinking, I can't believe I, what I'm looking at, you know? And there's been times when I've hung around the car waiting for the person to come out. <laughs> it's awful, I know, you know? But I'm thinking, I'm just curious, you know, what does this mean? You know, what is it you like so much about this decal that you bought it and you placed it on your car and you want everybody to see it? and make it a determination about you based off of it. I haven't done it in a long time because Angie told me if I did, she'd leave me, okay? When we lived in Asheville, I'm not kidding. When we lived in Asheville, she walked around with 9-1 punched in her phone, okay? Because I loved going up to people on street corners and talk to them. And, uh, but it was a great witnessing opportunity. I'd say, what is it about uh, this faith that you follow that you're willing to stand on a street corner uh, this afternoon and hand out these pamphlets. In other words, what's your testimony? Uh, now, that's different than going to somebody that's got a bumper sticker that says, all is one, and then downing them about what that bumper sticker says, okay? So understand the difference there. But it says, stop judging according to the outward appearances, rather judge according to righteous judgment. Well, Quickly, I'm going to give you three things. It's righteous judgment, what that looks like. The assessment must be based on God's standard, not on personal preference. In order for it to be called sin, it must be a violation of God's word, not simply a difference in opinion. There are certain things that are absolutes, things that are right, things that are wrong. But there's some things it's just a matter of preference and you don't have and I don't have time and we don't need to be wasting our effort on things that really don't matter. That's one of the reasons why we have denominations. That's the reason why we have so much strife in the church is because we are so focused on second-tier issues. I can get along with a great number of people across denominational lines or if you're non-denominational, I can easily get along with people because we believe in the first-tier issues. But there's so many of the second-tier issues that separate people. And that's not part of what we're supposed to be about. The second one is the proper motivation in confronting another person must always be on the restoration of the offender. So the reason to confront is to restore. Does that make sense? I mean, it's, it's to restore, to win them back. Not to put him or her down or to condemn him. Uh, we got to get this right. 
It is so very important that we, we have the right motivation. And then th this particular verse, Galatians 6, that I just read a moment ago, my friends, you are spiritual, so if someone is trapped in sin, you should gently lead that person back to the right path. But watch out, don't be tempted yourself. Okay? And now the third one, God is the ultimate judge, and it is to Him that we're all accountable. His word, not our opinion or preference, is the standard of judgment. So we say all that to say this. You go through the 10 weeks that we've been here and we've talked about the various subjects that Jesus had on his mind and that if you're going to be one of my disciples, you need to be getting these things right. And that's something that 2,000 years from now, pastors feel is important enough to preach the same thing that he taught back in Matthew chapters uh, 5 through 7. It's important enough for us to listen to that today so we can be most effective in our walk with Christ. But if you had to ask me, I think that the greatest issue in the church today, I can't, I'm not talking about people outside of the church. That's not where we are today. We're in church. All right, so that's the audience that I'm talking to first. I think one of the greatest areas of weakness in our church is that we're treating a lot of these things that Matthew has talked about for the past uh, nine weeks and then 10 today as character flaws. Well, maybe they are character flaws, but the Bible also calls it sin. So here's, here's what I want to do today in our, in our, in our final uh, moments here. Jesus goes on in chapter 7, and he makes a statement that I think is very important. It was very important back 2,000 years ago for that group on that hillside up above Tiberias. It was important for them to hear. But it's just as important for us to hear. Do you know, if you, I'm, an, I'm an obituary reader, okay? That and the comics. I don't care about the rest of the paper. You know, I'll read who's, who's dead, how they died, and uh, then I'll read the, uh, the comics. It's always been that way. And Dear Abby, got to read Dear Abby, okay? Just make sure that, uh, you know, I don't have some of the same problems these other people have. Okay, I'm kidding about that. But I look at the obituaries, and almost in every instance, somebody is of some kind of faith. You know, they're of the Baptist faith, they're of the Methodist faith, or even says they're a member of such and such church. Well, I've done well over, I don't know, probably 200 funerals, you know, in my, in my ministry. And there's nothing harder to do the funeral of someone that there's no fruit in their life that expresses anything that they're a follower of Christ. Yet, someone in their family or someone that they know will say, well, he was a member or she was a member of such and such church. Let's look at this last verse uh, that Jesus spoke. Well, verses 13 and 14 of chapter 7. Enter through the narrow gate. The gate is narrow. You ever been through a narrow passage? It's harder to get through, is it not? It's, it's a lot of times in a narrow gate, you have to wait for somebody to get by you before you can go through it. If you're carrying a piece of furniture, you have to be really, really careful because it's narrow. It's going to be more difficult in order for you to make that passage. So he's saying, enter through the narrow gate. 
For the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads where? To destruction. And because of that, there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life? And listen to these final words. And few find it. And few find it. What about you today? I think it's very important that we look at, at, at the last 10 weeks and, and we just look at our lives. Here, here's something I learned years ago. You know, I can talk about salvation and, and I can pray, Father, allow me the opportunity to cross paths with somebody that needs you today. But I know that I cannot manufacture something that only the Holy Spirit can. So I guess my prayer today and my prayer yesterday and the day before and even back whenever uh, Matthew asked me to lead this was uh, place people in our midst on that day when I am speaking that has had a struggle with some of these and may be leading an unrepentant life and they're wondering where their strength is. So I guess if you're here this morning and today is a day that you need to repent. We don't talk about this a lot in churches anymore, and it's sad. I mean, I came out of the hellfire and brimstone age. You know, when I was nine years old, somebody came back to the last row in our church and got me and took me to the altar. Okay? <laughs> that, that was my first uh, introduction to Christianity. Now, I wasn't saved. I did not become a Christian whenever I was nine years old. But I was taken from the back row and brought to the front to confess my sins. You don't see stuff like that happen anymore. We do hear a lot of things about how we need to improve our lives. But guys right here, if it's not changed in the heart, it doesn't matter. You know, we know how to do a lot of things. We know how to do a lot of things. The problem is we don't have the heart to. That's the difference. Yeah, I know it's greasy food's not good for me, but I mean, gravy's a beverage to me, you know. Is it good for me? Lord, no, it's not good for me, but I couldn't live without it. You know, that's what keeps my elbows moving, you know. Or, or I know I shouldn't sit around on the couch as much as I do. I know I shouldn't spend so much time on my cell phone. I know I shouldn't do that. I know I shouldn't do that. But until you have the heart desire to do it or not to do it, you're going to keep doing it or not doing it. Correct? So what I'm asking as we're closing, and Tyler, you can go ahead and come forward. I, I, I'm just curious if there's anyone here this morning that over this period of time, you've seen one or more of these subjects these topics that Jesus has spoke about and it has hit you between the eyes and it has stepped on your toes. And if you're still living in unrepentance of those, I want to create the opportunity here for you to come forward or from the privacy of your own seat. And I want you to repent before the Lord and ask him through the power of the Holy Spirit to enliven you to do the work that he has for you to do. We want to thank you again for listening to the Believer's Church podcast. Make sure you join us next week as we begin a new series. Also, we'd love a chance to connect with you. Make sure you visit BelieversChurchJC.com and enjoy the rest of your week.